Hello, welcome to Storytellers of STEM. My name is Rachel Villani. Today is episode 50. It is hard for me to believe how we've already been at 50 episodes in about eight months. Um, it's hard to believe and it's also awesome. And thank all of you for listening and sharing and for referring storytellers to me. Um, I am forever grateful. And if you want to hear me do an AMA, which is Ask Me Anything, um, go like the Facebook page at Storytellers of STEM and tell your friends. Um, all right, so let's dive in. Today's storyteller is Ellen Anderson. She is a medical device researcher. She works primarily with diabetes sensors um, that do continuous glucose monitoring. I'm not going to pretend to understand all of it, but I think what she's doing is awesome and it certainly seems like it fills a need in the market to help people manage their diabetes better. So she's going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Homeward Bound because Ellen is also Team HB5 like me and a bunch of the other storytellers. Um, and we're going to talk about how she got into this field. Um, she's previously worked as a chemist in a winery and done a bunch of other cool things. So we're going to talk about all of that. So I hope you enjoy and go like Storyteller System on Facebook. Thanks for listening. So thank you, Rachel, for inviting me to do this and um, more than just inviting for encouraging me. I appreciate that. Um, so there's a couple of reasons that I started, decided to tell my STEM story. Um, one is more of a, a selfish reason. I'm pretty uncomfortable talking in public and especially about myself. So I wanted to take this on as part of my uh, visibility challenge uh, with Homeward Bound. Um, and the second reason is that um, my uh, journey to science is, um, I guess, a little less than traditional in that I didn't grow up knowing that I wanted to be in science or even knowing that that was an option. I really um, um, just kind of ended up here and I did all that after I had a family. So it's a little bit of reverse from, I think, the traditional. And if, you know, if it can encourage someone in that same situation to move forward, then that could be a benefit. So, so what do I do? I'm a, a research scientist and I'm working in the diabetes field on a biosensor uh, to detect glucose. So um, the way to describe that is uh, most people have seen or maybe know someone who's diabetic that um, pricks their finger and you get the blood drop and you uh, take a glucose reading. Um, this this uh, product is essentially that, uh, but 24 hours a day for, for 14 or now it's going to be 21 days. Oh. Um, so the lingo for it is a continuous glucose monitor and that's become something that um, certainly in the diabetic community, but even in the larger community that people are starting to um, understand you know what that means and its adoption has gone way up there's um, a competitor company that's I don't know if this is necessarily major but their stock market has just gone their stocks have gone crazy um, and they're selling in the US so I guess that's is that kind of a description of the devices that make sense yeah does it do the same thing with like the finger prick too or is it some other Format. Yeah, so it's a, so it's a, a needle. It's a seven mil, so seven thousand seven inch, uh, very tiny, and it's inserted just under the skin on the abdomen. There's also a company who inserts it on the back of the arm. Um, so it sits indwelling in your interstitial tissue under the skin, and so it's really uh, reading the interstitial glucose, which is slightly different than or can be slightly different than blood glucose, depending on whether it's rising or lowering. And um, you use the finger stick to calibrate. So you calibrate okay. the system um, 
so that, uh, I guess here's another description. So um, the device itself just has a couple of membranes. One is an enzyme membrane. So enzymatically converts glucose to peroxide, which then interacts with the platinum wire that's in your mm -hmm. skin um, to provide a current. And then the finger stick um, blood glucose reading is your calibration to tell the system this current equals this glucose. It's really you know simple, but that elegant. Yeah. And then uh, there's a second membrane that's a polymer membrane <clears throat> that helps to um, control the diffusion of glucose and oxygen. So you want to minimize the amount of glucose coming in so that the current you know, will be proportional to the amount of glucose. So it's really just a proportional and a calibration with blood. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it is. It's cool. So I guess I wanted to just talk a little bit about... Um, so in, I guess in high school, I was not somebody who, who loved school. I was actually really good at it. I got good grades. So I got that sort of positive feedback, which always feels good. Mm -hmm. I didn't like school at all. In high school, I took a biology. The only thing I remember from that class, vaguely picture the teacher. Um, but the only thing I remember is that we had to chew on rubber bands to make <laughs> And then that, that memory just really stuck with me. But um, I you know, I didn't feel passionate about anything we were doing there. It was just, um, I don't know, I, I think it was probably poor teaching, but it could have also been where I was at at the time. Um, growing up, my dad was very much into science, and it's not something I would have known at the time. Um, but he, you know, was always talking about, about space and, um, and just biology and the way our bodies worked. And um evolution you know just it was just a part of my life growing up so it's not anything i ever thought of as a thing you do it's kind of just <laughs> part of who we are and um my parents didn't go to college so that wasn't uh, where it was coming from it came um i think it just came from his passion and his, his passion to learn um but both my parents were very intent that all of us kids go to college, you know, so that even wasn't a question. I knew we'd go to college, more school. I didn't like school. <laughs> um, but when I went back to school, so I did, you know, the obligatory uh, community college associates right after high school. Didn't enjoy that either. Um, but after kids, I went, you know, I started thinking, I want to be a pediatrician. That's, you know, I think that'd be cool. So I went back and started taking classes and I, to a class, I loved every single one of them. I dove in first with, with math, with uh, calculus and trig, um, and then started taking biology and chemistry. And I had never had that kind of teaching before. I mean, that was like, you know, listening to my dad in a lot of ways. Yeah, it sounds like maybe you were uh, ready for it then, you know, maybe, maybe it wasn't interesting when you were younger, but. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Yeah. So, so I thought I wanted to be a pediatrician and then I thought I wanted to be a genetic counselor. Um, so I was going through the motions of the classes. Um, I'd had my parents support, especially my mom helping out with the kids. Yeah. So my mom was, um, she was actually an early adopter of feminism in our life. So me and my sister benefited from that for sure. Uh, you know, she always made sure that we understood that we could do anything. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Go mom. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, she's a good mom. Um, okay, so as I said, so I started back to community college, um, uh, taking biology and chemistry, and then um, a temporary lab position had come up uh, and was announced in the chemistry class. And so I, I took a job at a winery for the um, crush season. That was so much fun. I did that three years in a row. And 
And so I got to work in the lab there and kind of start to, you know, see what that feels like outside of a school um, lab. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was a good memory getting up real early in the morning. And so as I, I had to drive about 20, 25 minutes and on the way in, they had me stop, you know, at some of the um, sort of, I guess they're satellite wineries, but places where the juice was and collect mm -hmm. juice samples. And, you know, we got to try all the juice and do all the tests and it was very cool. Enjoyed that a lot. Um, and then um, I transferred to UC Davis and um, oh wait, I guess before that, I, um, I took a job at the Veterans Administration um, and it was a neuroscience lab. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was, you know, more of a full on lab, a little bit different than the winery, of course, which just has a limited number of tests, but the environment was fun. Um, the VA hospital was, um, I guess the research lab was really right near the VA hospital. And so they were doing research on brain and, and often would, you know, do some cadaver research as well. And my first week there, um, my boss, you know, had told me to put gloves on and he took a human brain out of a bucket of, I guess, formaldehyde and put it in my hands and I, I was hooked. <laughs> I want to do this. <laughs> That's so I, the reaction I would have. <laughs> yeah. So I set aside idea of pediatrician or genetic counselor. Um, but I had already applied to the university um, to be in a, a subset of biochemistry, which was focusing on genetics. So I just went ahead and headed down that path. Um, when I transferred to the university, um, my VA job was the opposite direction by about an hour. Um, and they had known a, a new professor that was starting up at the Neuroscience Center at UC Davis. And so they, um, they recommended me and she hired me. And Basically, my first day, we walked into an empty cement floor room. So we got to build a lab, you know, basically design and build a lab from the ground up, which was really, really fun and good for me. Yeah, that's cool. And it's probably yeah. a great experience. Yeah, really just to understand, I mean, all, even all the infrastructure around the gases you need to get in and the, the chemistry and piping and yeah. Um, and she was working on the vestibular system and the animal model was uh, zebrafish. Oh, so cool. we were working with, yeah, it was kind of cool. So the, the zebrafish, I guess their, um, their vestibular system doesn't develop until after they're born. So they they're the perfect model for, um, you know, seeing, seeing what goes on there. So uh, the Canadian space agency built this little, um, I don't know, three by five aquarium that had, two sides to it. And we were working um, with them uh, to send the fish up and gosh, what's the floor? Cape Canaveral in Florida. Oh. So we got to go out there a couple times. They never actually launched while I was there, but that was kind of the plan. So I was working with little zebrafish and keeping uh, tanks of uh, fish alive and collecting their eggs and injecting dyes into their tiny little vestibular system. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I loved being in the lab. For sure. Can you tell um, me what the vestibular system is? Yeah, um, the vestibular system is, I mean, one of the reasons we were um, going to send it up into space is it's, it's the part of the, um, I guess, part of the ear really that, uh, that allows you to um, keep balance. So if you hear so that someone has vertigo, there's an issue with their vestibular system. Man, that's cool. Man, zebrafish are yeah. so important because oh, they're also they are research apparently yeah like, yeah it's a that. good model <laughs> and i wonder yeah, if it's because they're 
Yeah, I wonder if it's because they're born with maybe other organs that are underdeveloped. And I'm not sure. The scoliosis thing, it was because their genome is 100% mapped or whatever the word for that is. That was oh, why they were using that. That is true. Yeah. yeah. But I didn't know that yeah. until I talked to Yeah, it's else. zebrafish. And then what is that? Um, cyans? What is it called? The other one that, that's the bacteria that's completely... Ah, I can't yeah, remember it. I'm but. not sure. But anyway, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and actually, she was also working, I, w I wasn't involved in that project, but she was also working with a, a ferret model, um, cute little ferret. So I was kind of taking care of them, but I didn't actually work on them. But um, mm -hmm. part of that reason was because the uh, ferrets are born without their visual system completely oh. developed. So she was able to study that. Yeah, um, it's cool. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, I've been loving hearing about your, um, your work in, the, in Louisiana. That's very interesting. I'm hoping to get out there someday and get up on a boat ride with you. Um, okay, so let's see. So I worked, I guess I was there for three years in that lab. Um, didn't necessarily want to leave, but I was a single mom at that time, um, at that point, and I, um, I kind of needed to get a better income. And so if you're not a PhD at the university or a professor at the university, you're one of those in-between folks, uh, at least in my experiences, your salary wasn't really going to change that much. And wasn't sustainable. So my other option was to um, take a job in the Bay Area. I grew up in um, Northern California because um, there's plenty of labs down there, huge lab companies and um, or I guess huge companies with research labs. Um, but I, I wasn't willing to spend four hours of my day commuting, not really yeah, seeing no. my kids. Um, so I started looking around and um, there's a you know few places in the U.S. that are um, that are bioscience uh, specific. Portland is not one of them, um, but Seattle is. Um, and Portland had at the time had a small bioscience community. Of course, all coming out of the universities. And I wanted to be uh, somewhere where I was just within a day's drive of the grandparents because it was my support system. So I found a um, a website called Bioscience Online up in Portland. I spent probably almost a year kind of, you know, looking into the area, even though I had been up there twice for uh, short visits with friends and I liked it. I knew I would like the area. Um, and I started looking around at uh, what was available. So on this bioscience website, uh, it was mostly all medical device. Mm -hmm. um, and it sounded interesting to me. I, uh, as much as I enjoyed the lab work, um, I felt like having something that was closer to the end product where I could see its use um, in play um, would, would be better for me. Um, so this uh, one particular medical device company um, was uh, creating a glucose biosensor. Um, I had called them, but I didn't hear back from them. And I called you know, a few of the other places that sounded interesting. One was um, a fully implantable glucose sensor. And I just, started talking with this guy there who'd answered the phone who'd been at the lab for a lot of years and uh, he was really engaging and excited that you know someone new was moving up there and told me about um, a job opening that was coming up a friend of his was going off to grad school and there was an opening and it was that company that i originally had wanted so that was that was great um, so he hooked me up with his boss who would then be my boss and came up for an interview so it was the first interview i had a up in Portland and I took the job and the person who was going off uh, to graduate school uh, was there for another three or four months training me 
and then when she left, it was just me and it was my whole lab. And I, I really loved that. <laughs> and yeah. so we would have, you know, we'd be, um, did research on different enzyme formulations, different um, membrane systems. And, you know, at that, at that time we had uh, an inner interference membrane, but just a lot of different membrane research and testing the sensor. And again, the, the first month I was there, I, you know, we were building these things by hand, which is so crazy now because we have this whole manufacturing facility now. Um, but I was, you know, doing everything by hand and then uh, wiring it up and inserting it in my boss and, you know, looking at the data and analyzing the data. So I got to do everything from beginning to end. And this is a product, you know, that I could see its mm -hmm. utility. Um, yeah. And the first uh, clinical study, I wasn't actually writing studies back then, but I got to be involved from the standpoint of, you know, getting the sensors inserted and connected and looking at the data. Um, but we were able to see through the data that this um, particular one uh, that I'm recalling, um, she had been in the study, I think, six weeks in a row. And we could see that from her glucose readings that her glucose was coming more into the normal range. You know, she was a type 1 diabetic, so you're still going to have excursions. Um, and, you know, also depending on where you're at in your diabetes, you know, sometimes it's, it's just more out of control by no fault of any one person or behaviors. It's just everybody has a different profile. But for her in particular, she was able to make changes to her diet and the way that she um, was injecting insulin to really bring her normal range down. So I could see just in the first month I was there, the utility of it, even though we were so far from being a product that we could actually sell, you know, maybe I could make 10 of them a day, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, feasible that we could sell anything at that point, but, but that was, that was cool. And, and, and I um, ended up staying at that job now for 21 years uh, through probably four or five different owners, a um, couple of, uh, you know, full company layoffs. Um, but I just kind of kept coming back. And each time I came back, I, um, I did that with the understanding that I wanted to do something different. Mm -hmm. So this last time was a two-year layoff, which actually turned out to be really nice for me. <laughs> they, they ended up, um, it was a big company, um, buyer out of Germany, uh, Bayer Aspirin, everybody knows them as. But uh, they've ended up paying a year of salary, so I didn't have to worry about the financing at that time and had oh, all this time nice. off. So it was I fantastic. Mean, really awesome, but that's a, you know, yeah. yeah, it was fantastic. And I finished, I had uh, started my, my master's in public health, just kind of one class at a time, because mm -hmm. um, the company was helping pay for that. So I just finished it off during that time, which was a good I, use of, of my yeah, time. Yeah, an opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this last time in, um, I asked if I could work in, on clinical studies and do regulatory work. And I really didn't have the background to do that, but we're still a small enough company that, um, that they let me do that on the, <laughs> on the condition that I would come back if I could. Yeah. Um, and so I've really enjoyed the, really the last three years just digging into that. I've had the, the freedom without being micromanaged to just, you know, dive in and figure it out and do it. And then it's also um, afforded just kind of outside of work. It's afforded me a, a huge opportunity to travel so much. So we've done most of our studies in the former Yugoslavs. But there's been enough time in between studies. Um, and my partner would come over and, and he and I have just traveled 
everywhere. And so um, I think the first time I, let's say I went to Guam when the kids were little, but it wasn't until I was 50 that I took my first trip um, to Ecuador and the Galapagos Islands. And um, so that's, that's been a great part of all this. So being able to yeah. do something that I love um, with all the opportunity that's built into it. And then uh, regulatory, you know, that's a much bigger animal or has been for me than clinical. Clinical's straightforward. Regulatory is also straightforward, but it's um, so much more involved and it's going to take some more time to be fully integrated. Um, but I was able to put together the technical file, was kind of the main person on that for um, getting um, approval in Europe. And we got our CE mark approvals, would be the equivalent of an FDA approval in the US. And we got our CE mark approval last November. Yeah. So it was like I've come full circle. Yeah, oh, that's, that's really cool. And I love that you get to travel because I mean, that's just like a nice fun bonus, right? You know, so nice. Yeah, I, and it was it's always unexpected. So we'll be here, you know, for maybe three months at a time, mm -hmm. uh, depending on how many studies we're doing, how long it is, and then something will get delayed. And this was what happened the first time something got delayed and suddenly I had six weeks and I didn't have to go home. So it was, just, it was amazing. Yeah. So we just yeah, took off and cool. went everywhere. Yeah. We've had friends and family come over and do that with us. So. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, you know, I know you're traveling for, it sounds like several months and I, I will still consider that short term, but like yeah. I have friends that move, I'm like, hey, you gotta go somewhere cool so I can come visit yeah. you. But even if you go somewhere for a couple of months, like there's still opportunities to go visit, right? So that's cool. Yeah. 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 If it wasn't for uh, for grandkids, I feel like at this point we'd be moving somewhere else. There's just so many cool places. Yeah. 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 Well, that's a travel for, so you can you can have both. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. So where I'd like to go from here, and part of this is driven also by um, by grandkids and just wanting a little more uh, flexibility in my life. Um, I've been uh, probably really since the past three years. So it probably started when I was laid off uh, looking into consulting. I had a boss, um, I guess, before the layoff. Um, and she was, she was phenomenal. She was just really encouraging and, um, you know, trying to help develop her people and, she tried to get me to be um, the lab manager for a while, managing people, and I was really resistant to that. And, and it's not something I enjoyed at all. <laughs> but, we, you know, gave it a try. And, and then she sort of introduced me to the concept of managing projects, and that's what I do well. Yeah. You know, just give me a project that I may not know anything about. Let me dig into it. Give me the space to dig into it and give me a resource when I need it. And so I really enjoyed that. So I, so I feel like that's kind of, helped me to segue into, I guess I call it consulting, but really maybe it's a little more contract work mm -hmm. around biocompatibility. And so I've gotten into um, a couple of, um, <clears throat> I guess three now, uh, consulting agencies that will give me work every now and then. And with a full-time job, you don't really want work all the time. <laughs> just want yeah. it every now and then. So that's helped out. And then I think as um, one of our homeward bound challenges, um, I'm going to put together a website and kind of mm -hmm. try to move forward with that. I've already talked with my current boss about going halftime at the end of the year. So I can really kind of pursue that. And then um, maybe by the next year, get out of there fully so that my idea, at least maybe a little bit romanticized, but my idea is that then 
I can go be with my grandkids on the coast and I can be there for a month and certainly I'm working, but I'm there with them and I can, my other grandson is currently in Hawaii. I can spend some time there. I can be down where my parents are. I can go mm -hmm. live in Spain for three months and, you know, can do it from anywhere. Yeah. So it's really, uh, it's really where I want to be. And I, I think also, you know, in thinking about applying to Homeward Bound and, you know, all of the Homeward Bound work we've done so far, I, I feel like that will also free me up for some of those opportunities. You know, whereas I haven't really, I guess the truth I could say is I haven't made the time, but it feels like I just haven't had the time. So it's yeah. probably a combination of both. I was gonna say, maybe both are true. Yeah, it's probably both are true, yeah. Yeah, that sounds to me like I would love to be location independent and just like work from anywhere except, you know, the wetlands are only at one spot. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's true. It would be awesome to have a job like that, in, I think. So, yeah, I mean, you could, kind of you could at some point in your career be a consultant for a wetlands research and go around to where all the wetlands are. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. that would be cool. Yeah, no, that sounds like a really cool idea. I'd love, you know, for some freedom moving forward. Yeah, I'm ready for it. What would you say is your favorite part of your job? Ooh, right now. Yeah, right now. Okay, since the traveling is not actually part of my job, I won't pick that. <laughs> I can be second. Um, a couple things come to mind. So um, we're, you know, we have some minimal interaction with the um, participants in the study because we're, you know, monitoring their monitors, uh, making sure everything's going right. Um, and I think hearing the, the stories from them, you know, um, some of them have used products that are on the market, but a lot of them, you know, really sort of country dependent, depending on, you know, where products have launched, you know, may have never used a device like this before. And um, it's interesting to see the process. So for the majority of people, at first, they're just frustrated. You know, things aren't exactly what their blood glucose meters say, um, but by, by two weeks, almost inevitably, you know, they're, they're interested in, they're much more engaged, um, you know, some more engaged in the technology, some more engaged in just the, you know, the concept of being able to have their data there. Um, and we've had several people write to, not to us, but to the CRO to say they miss their sensor, you know, that they want one. So yeah. um, to just, I get me really to see that, yeah, this is a good thing. You know, you know, fundamentally it's a good thing and you hope that you've made the right decisions about uh, what features are important and, you know, that you've gotten things um, accurate, you know, for, for their safety, <laughs> really. Um, so that, that's a big part. And then um, the other part that comes to mind is, um, I think what I, I alluded to earlier, just being able to kind of dive in and get messy with something I know nothing about. And so regulatory has been kind of that for me, you know, just really diving in and, you know, sending off the technical files. The technical file is, um, is the, what they call the main document, which is, you know, a whole crate of documents <laughs> that you send off to, um, to ask for approval to sell your device, mm -hmm. um, you know, and not knowing really what that should look like. And, um, you know, certainly having uh, some people around me that I could uh, touch base with, but really there wasn't one of us in the company who really knew exactly what that's supposed to look like. And mm -hmm. I think there's not one way it looks, which is part of the problem. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just diving into that and being, being let go and, uh, and then having that uh, succeed in, in really what we found out was record time. We, 
started the process in May. I think we turned it in in September and had approval by November. And wow. That's it's sort of unheard of. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So that feels really good. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to help people and then see how it helps people sounds like that would yeah. be really fulfilling. Yeah, it is. And then when we were traveling around, um, I think we were in uh, on Santorini in Greece and it was end of season. So there weren't that many people around and most of the places were closed. And even with that, I saw three people, you know, cause they're in swimsuits. You can see their device, three people wearing the device. You know, I wanted to run up to them and ask them about it. It wasn't our device. Of course we weren't on the market then, but it was right. competitor devices. But you know, that's of course not appropriate, <laughs> right. but I really just wanted to, you know, what do you think? Do you love it? <laughs> I'm doing that. <laughs> So it was, it's cool to see it. And I've, I've seen it in airports, the one on the back of the arm you can see. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really being a, the, the continuous glucose monitoring um, medical device is really being adopted uh, hugely in the diabetes community. So. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a game changer to me if you're a diabetic. It is. I, the biggest uh, thing that, I, from my point of view, that's been the issue with adoption, because these have been around for a couple of decades is that um, people, and I, when I say people, I guess I mean physicians, um, maybe users, you know, I don't know because I'm not diabetic, but um, that they've gotten so used to the idea that their blood glucose meter reading is the gospel, you know, <laughs> that, that, that when they take a reading, that that value is absolute. And the reality is that the it's certainly gotten better, but I would say even five years ago, the best meters on the market are plus or minus 20%. Not mm. 20%, but plus or minus 20%. Wow, that's a big difference. Accurate. That's a big range. Yeah. yeah, but they've got, you know, that they, they've become the gospel, this, uh, mm. these VGMs are. So when people are getting readings once a minute, 24 hours a day, and they're, con and they're comparing it to their blood glucose meter, they're going to see that accuracy is not, you know, the, the absolute truth is not what you're getting. What you're getting is a better understanding of what happens to your glucose when you eat what you eat, when you do what you do, uh, when through no action of your own, just at two o'clock in the morning, your body glucose goes up, you know, so you start to understand what these trends are. And then, then maybe, you know, in that scenario, instead of, um, or maybe your, let's say your, your blood glucose drops at two in the morning and you've known most of your life that you're waking up, you know, at night knowing that you need to get something. Well, now you're looking at a pattern and you see that this pattern is repeated. So instead of, you know, giving yourself um, a glass of orange juice or something that could spike you before you go to bed, you know, you can just, it just gives you tools to, mm -hmm. to make different decisions about how you might manage your your diabetes. So yeah. I'm not being diabetic. I can't say that was 100% certainty, but this is what I'm, uh, what I'm understanding. Seems like that would be really valuable. I mean, again, yeah. I don't know for sure, but yeah. Like Even as I've gotten older, so I've worn thousands of these things as you do in research. <laughs> um, and uh, when we first started using them, we had a, a 21 gauge needle, which is pretty, pretty good sized needle and mm -hmm. really hurts. Um, and now, um, I don't remember when it happened, but now we're the only one on the market that's inserted without a needle. Oh. And the concept is uh, maybe, I think most people have kind of heard this before. If you, if you take a straw and you're able to fire it fast enough and straight enough, 
into a tree, you can stick it into a tree concept. So we, we're firing the sensor straight into the skin with which helps with a lot of things. So um, inserting the needle often flood uh, at the site, which, mm-hmm. you know, then kind of, I mean, your immune system insertion regardless, but having blood at the site sort of exacerbates and I'm 57 now, older. Let's say I'll back up a second. So um, Dr. Pepper addict from the time of my first job at Taco Bell. Before that, I didn't even drink soda. I was a sugar addict, but didn't drink soda. You know, I, I loved it. And it's a very high, high sugar product, mm-hmm. you know, along with all things negative about <laughs> that sort of behavior. But it wasn't until the last maybe five years that I started to see a difference. You know, I'm, so I'm wearing these sensors and, you know, we're taking blood glucose uh, finger stick measurements, trying to, um, you know, make decisions about accuracies and about algorithms and what we need to do to improve the product. Um, but not being diabetic, I didn't use it in the way that it's intended. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still not diabetic, but, you know, as we age, um, things change and I can see those changes. So it actually helped me to get off Dr. Pepper. <laughs> so gosh, I said five years, but it's been about 15 years. Um, <laughs> so it helped me to, you know, to realize that that was, you know, something I need to get rid of. And then it's also helped me with my food choices, you know, just mm-hmm. seeing what, um, what my glucose is doing based on what I'm eating. So even outside of the diabetic community, this could be used as a tool for someone who's just trying to, you know, I don't know, we would certainly want one, would it want to recommend it for a diet, but just as an understanding of food intake and what its impact mm-hmm. is. So, because that certainly helped me. It's interesting that because you're not diabetic, you saw what the different things did to you too, and it still like sparked mm-hmm. change. You're like, oh no, this is going to work. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think that that, that's something that helps people just like just eat better in general is valuable even if it's just like the knowledge right it doesn't have to be the device i think so too yeah i think we don't often think about what that dr pepper does to us i know i've tried not to (laughs) yeah i certainly didn't right yeah Yeah. it was my drug (laughs) yeah 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 it's it's not great (laughs) It's not. So much of what we do to our bodies is not. It's cool that that helped you, uh, you know, understand how things operated for you a little bit better, which is Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to, even as a non-diabetic, of course, you're going to get a glucose spike, but that spike was getting higher and higher. And mm-hmm. yeah. So at some point you're kind of overwhelming your body's ability to deal with the, from a insulin standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. I'll rethink that Dr. Pepper next time for sure. <laughs> Isn't it great? You know, <laughs> I've had at most one a year, but um, I still love it. Yeah, like that's it. my soda of choice as well. I yeah. don't often drink, like, it'll take me a while to drink a can or whatever. Like, hours oh, that's good. Before. Yeah, that's you know, good. I thought it'll be two days or something, but still, still yeah. a lot. <laughs> Yeah, so we haven't talked about Homeward Bound at all. Yeah, you want to talk about that? Yeah. Okay. How are you, how's your experience been so far? How are you feeling about it? I think that my expectation um, when I applied, of course, when I applied, the driver for me was that it was all women in Antarctica. That was really Mm -hmm. the drive for me. but I think I naively expected that it would be like 
um, taking a course, you know, oh. that it would sit back and be taught, and <laughs> which is just ridiculous. <laughs> That's sort of how I, uh, how I imagined. And so I really struggled with um, getting engaged with doing some of this work. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe for the per- first, let's see, when did we start? What is like it? It's June now. Yeah, we started in November. So probably up until March, I was pretty engaged. And for me, that's not tied to COVID. It's, it's mm-hmm. tied to, uh, I think, motivation. I think I'm having trouble feeling motivated. So mm-hmm. at first, I kept it to where I could just keep this list of the homework that I hadn't done yet or that I hadn't engaged in. And now it's, it's gone way beyond that. Um, so this, for me, is another, this interview was kind of my getting ready to kind of step back in. Yeah. Um, and then it's actually helped me listening to your podcast. And then, like I was mentioning this morning, listening to the, um, remind me what it's called, the one, the, the one that you, zone. the discomfort zone. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's helped. So I'm going to listen to the rest of those. So these little bits of motivation are, are there for me. I just need to reach out and I need to keep them going. It's, it's not as challenging for me. Yeah. For me, it's the inertia, right? Like if I keep it going, I'll manage to keep it going. But if I stop, then I can't get it started again. Yeah, that might be where I'm at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think that you doing this podcast with me is an awesome thing for your visibility uh, sprint or challenge, whichever one. Yeah, it's it's big for me because I don't do this. (laughs) Way out of your comfort zone, which is the point, right? Um, But it's also, I hope, a safe space because we're both in the program together. I think that that's a, a good step for that challenge because homework yeah. is hard and it's hard to come up with something to do that's like challenging enough but not terrifying maybe or yeah. maybe like it also attainable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And maybe just being okay with the fact that that's a big difference between what I might choose and someone who's um, way more accomplished <laughs> might choose. Well, everybody's different, right? And everybody's comfort levels for things are different or their goals are different. So, um, yeah. yeah, everybody's outcomes will look different, which is, I think, actually kind of cool. Listening to you all on that uh, first podcast of the discomfort zone, I mean, you're, you're well-spoken women. <laughs> you're motivated. I mean, as a whole, you could just hear that. And then to also hear that it was a little terrifying. I don't know if anybody used the word terrifying, but that's how I heard it. And that was really helpful. So, oh, okay. So it's, it's not just me. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That podcast has been a lot of fun and challenging, but both are important, you know, because it's, it can be hard to talk about some of these things that we've talked about in there. And I haven't been on every episode just because of the way that, you know, the schedule worked out. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. So I'm definitely looking forward to the outcome and having trouble seeing the path there. Mm Mm-hmm the outcome of your of um being comfortable with being visible oh yeah um being good at uh formatting a conversation understanding (laughs) gamper (laughs) yeah yeah i yeah i think i understand a little bit better because it's like it it, it's like the, the things you need to have in a conversation to make it like or in a message you know to have everything in there um, like yeah. basically a plan, you yeah. know, or this is my goal, this is my audience, my message, whatever. And then, um, but the format thing, I still don't quite understand it completely. <laughs> it's 
maybe because of where I fall on it, you know, but then uh, that just is just abstract. I have a hard time with it, but um, yeah, I think that's, that's okay. I'm going to try it and try it. Hey y'all, it's Rachel here. So what Ellen is talking about is format. It's the number four MAT. It's sort of a model for how people learn. Um, and there's four quadrants, which is why the number four. So it just sort of, it just represents the different ways that people learn and relate to information. Gamper is a way to sort of everything you need to include in your message. So it's G-A-M-P-E-R, it's goal audience message platform evaluation and refine so it's a sort of a way to easy way to remember all the things that you should include in whatever sort of communication you're making and the next thing that ellen is going to talk about is lsi which is a personality diagnostic and that stands for lifestyles inventory all three of these are parts of the homeward bound program that are used to sort of help us make messages appeal to a variety of people and learning styles and personalities to understand how we operate a little bit better and more in depth. Um, and there's just been, you know, really helpful tools as part of the program. Hard three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is totally my wheelhouse. Yeah. yeah. It's only with certain, certain things. Like I like to have a schedule for things and I like to know, even if I have, I know like I have something at this time and this time and then in between is free time. Like that is also a schedule to me. <laughs> you schedule free time. <laughs> yeah. Or, like, That's great. Yeah. Like today I had, you know, this, first thing and then I have uh, the, a call later and yeah. then in between I can do whatever I want you know <laughs> like but freeing. it was planned <laughs> yeah it's like freeing to know I have that time that free time scheduled I don't know yeah 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 I definitely need to get a little bit more there but you're right it was the format because I'm a I'm a pretty hard one yeah and you know I find these um uh metrics I guess how do I want to say um as I'm taking them, you know, sort of annoying because I can tell if I pick that answer, you're putting me in that category. If I pick that answer, you know, but I, but I, you know, I'm trying to put the answer that I, I truly believe, but I, mm-hmm. I find it a little annoying even that, okay, now I have this label, but that label yeah. fits me so well. It fits right. me so well. They pegged it on the LSI and the format and I, you know, yeah. I find that satisfying and, and annoying, you know? <laughs> right. Don't put me in that box I fit in. Right. I don't want to be in this perfect little box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, for me, I just laugh at it because I have, you know, I've got my LSI 1 and my LSI 2, and I'm just like, yeah, that sounds like me. <laughs> You've gotten your two back. Yeah, I did that this week. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny, though. We had some good conversations about it, but. Good. Yeah, I didn't find it. I know a lot of people can find that kind of thing, um, especially when other people are reviewing you. And that's the first time I've ever done something like that, right? You know, uh-huh. people can find that confronting or maybe kind of hard to accept. But for me, I was like, yeah, that, that totally seems like me. Yeah, I, I can see how people see it that way. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, it was cool. I like, I like those kinds of things. I mean, I don't think we, it's like the end all be all necessarily, yeah. but I think that it's informative and informative for how other people operate, which I think maybe is maybe more important. It really is. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad that Homer Bound seems like it's been mostly positive, at least. It's so, yeah. it's a lot because, you know, you have to do all the homework and that's what we signed up to do, right? Like this is it a is. program, but sometimes yeah. it's like, oh, I have so much homework. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I actually love that we, I mean, I don't love that if having an extra year means that we're losing some people. I think that's really heartbreaking. From a personal standpoint, having another year feels like I can, I can get there. <laughs> yeah. Hey, y'all, Rachel again. So what we're talking about is that because of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, our voyage to Antarctica, which is sort of the capstone of the course where we do um, a bunch of educational in-person learnings, meet all of our cohort in person for the first time and um, learn about Antarctica as well, and as well as um, visit Antarctica has been postponed. Um, it's now official um, as of a couple weeks ago. So yeah, so Homer Bound means this year that we get an extra year of education, which is great. Um, as a silver lining, I mean, it's unfortunate that the world is in a pandemic and we, you know, life is uprooted. However, you know, small potatoes compared to a lot of things that could happen. So yeah, so Homer Bound is, you know, postponed a little bit and yeah, we'll go in the future. Right, yeah. No, I think it's fine. And I think that um, I've talked to some people who were in previous cohorts and it's, you know, some of the things multiple people have told me just like do what you can do and do what's like most applicable to you and do what you can um i don't know that they necessarily expect everyone to do everything on you know mm -hmm. maybe they do but i don't think that happens you know yeah, yeah i probably have to stop thinking of it as a task list that's probably not a healthy way to <laughs> yeah <laughs> I've given up on the reflective journaling because I don't like doing it. I don't like it. I, mm. I don't get anything out of it. I can't, mm. I can't think of anything to write when I sit down to write. Mm. Like, mm -hmm. It doesn't do anything for me. So I've given up on trying to make myself do that. Yeah. <laughs> Even though everybody says this is like super helpful. I'm like, but I still don't get the point of it. And I, yeah. I like people keep telling me the point of it, but it's just yeah. not Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm not sure that it feels, as I'm also not a journal, I'm not sure that it feels like I'm getting anything out of it while I'm doing it. But I think the benefit for me will be that I can look back and see my growth through what I've written. Mm -hmm. I think maybe yeah. that's the maybe. idea. Yeah. The idea maybe is to look back. Maybe. The idea of like sitting down and writing about stuff just sounds terrible. I um, process that kind of stuff like when I go run or bike or whatever uh, like that's my process time yeah. um, and then if I pro like if I go for a run and then I've processed whatever it was I was thinking about and then I definitely yeah. write about it you're done <laughs> yeah so I just, that just doesn't work for me yeah which, you know it's interesting because this podcast spawned out of the visibility sprint thing where it was like assessing how visible you are for things like, yeah. oh man I don't have I've probably talked about another episode I'm like I don't I have things I can do like I had started all these different social media things and a book club and stuff and I was like but mm -hmm. I have things I could share but I have a finite amount of things I could share and they mm -hmm. need something that's like lo like location independent like I because I'm in the field a lot or in hotels or whatever so I needed something mm -hmm. that wasn't um requiring me to be in a certain spot at a certain time every week or whatever. And so yeah. just being able to just wherever my laptop and internet is and then That's scheduling cool. things, you know, like moving forward, uh, it's kind of ideal for me, but I never would have come across it if it hadn't been for that. Nice. Nice. So I'm how not familiar, I think you're the generation of podcasts, but how familiar were you with actually hosting a podcast? Oh, negative amounts of familiar. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> I was like, 
so I, was, I was sitting, I remember where I was. I was like, we were on a boat in the field. Um, like it was like December or early January. And, you know, I wasn't driving the boat. And like also boat ride, long boat rides are where I process things. You know, it's loud. I can't hear. I'm not talking to anybody, whatever. And so I was sitting here. I was like, I wish that I could just like tell stories about things on my own terms and not be interrupted because I have a hard time in groups like being interrupted because I'm kind of an introvert. Um, and and I don't. I I was. It's not like a good platform for me. I feel like I have to rush and tell my story fast so I can like stop you know bothering people or whatever. Even though that's a story I'm telling myself in my head. <laughs> no, it's me. Yeah. Like I rush to get to the point and then I'm just like, okay, I'm done talking. So you can step back and let someone else talk. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. And so I was like, I need a space to do that, which is obviously not public speaking because I am terrified of, of being in front of a group. And then I was like, well, what can I do? Like, what can I do for my computer or something? And as I was just like mulling this on this 45 minute boat ride, I was like, I could do a podcast. Like, I like telling stories, but I don't want to write them down because that feels yeah. cheap. Uh, and nobody's going to interrupt <laughs> me. <laughs> and I was like, I bet I could get other people to be on this podcast with me. And then we can all just tell stories about STEM or, you know, about work we do or whatever. And like, it could be really informal. And this whole thing spawned in this like 45 minute boat ride. That's fantastic. And then on the boat ride back, I came up with the name. <laughs> Um, and then I think it was like a couple days later where I just like sat, I'm sitting in the same spot. I sat at my table. I was like, I'll just tell the story of how I became a field biologist and I'll just record it on my phone. And I Googled like podcast app or something. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. It just made it really easy. And I was like, well, I'll just do this. And so then I just sort of figured it out. And I only last week figured out how to like interject audio clips. So oh, nice. So I, I just, I was saying that it's, really awesome that you've done this and I'm wondering if it feels that way to you like have you taken in how cool it is that you created this and you run with it I mean I think you're on episode 30 or something are you on uh that's how many are out yes 32 yeah, that's, that's yeah. fantastic I, I'm just wondering if you've taken that in that this is very cool uh, I don't think it's sunk in no yeah, the conceptualization, the putting into play, it's awesome. I think it sometimes feels like it's in a vacuum. Like I've had this awesome conversation with, you know, a person and then I've then edited that conversation, you know, later when it's because I just have a schedule, right? And then mm -hmm. I just put it out there and then that's the end. <laughs> and so it feels sort of like I say it's the end. It's not the end, but that's what it, it's the end of me doing something on, you know, on its behalf. And yeah, uh, yeah, it sort of feels like I'm doing this in isolation, which I'm obviously not because I'm talking to people. Right. And I'm sharing right, it on right. Facebook or whatever. And, and people have given me great feedback like you just did and which is awesome and um, makes me feel like, okay, I should keep doing this obviously. And I want to keep doing it. So yeah. I will keep doing it. So I can't find anybody to talk to anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, so far it's not the problem. But yeah, it just sort of feels like I'm doing this in like my bubble, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I think know. I told you um, when we first connected about this and you were being encouraging that I listened to, I don't know, at the time maybe you had 15 podcasts and I was driving down to see my parents, which was about a 10-hour drive. And I listened to them the whole way, you know, would take little breaks. Um, but I, I spent that time because I had driven down by myself and back by myself. I spent that time 
um, telling myself my story. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I like that. It uh, sparked you to, to figure out how you wanted to tell your story. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think that's like a, a goal of this as well. Like, showing all the cool things that happen in STEM and the ways that people get to where they are, because it's always different. And just, you know, there's some very uh, niche things that people just, you know, the public doesn't know about, you know, or whatever. And um, STEM's very big and broad. And also, I hope that it, you know, inspires people to go do something that they want to do or figure out something they didn't know existed, but sounds cool, you know, or to tell their story. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we need to get these we need to get your podcast to young folks, you know, who don't really even know that these kind of opportunities exist. Yeah. And I think so many of the people that you've talked to have kind of fallen into some really fabulous things that, mm-hmm. um, you know, had I known what was out there, I would have probably taken a different path. You know, even though my path yeah. has been good for me, I, had I known that some of those opportunities existed, I think that would have yeah. been helpful. Yeah. But, well, it's yeah. been really nice talking with you. Yeah, you too, Ellen. I appreciate you uh, getting out of your comfort zone and being brave and telling me your story. Thank you. Hey, it's Rachel. I have a little fact check. In the episode, Ellen said that she called the glucose biosensor a needle in the beginning, but it's actually a very thin seven one thousandths of an inch or seven mil wire that pierces the skin with virtually no pain whatsoever and then resides under the skin for the duration of the wear. This is important because our CGM, which is continuous glucose monitoring, is the only one on the market that doesn't use a trocar, which is a hollow needle, to get the CGM inserted. Um, This is important because needle insertion can be pretty painful. So yeah, slight fact check, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hey y'all, it's Rachel here. I wanted to ask you a favor. I would love it if you go over to Facebook, if you have Facebook, um, to Storytellers of STEM, the website is facebook.com slash Storytellers of STEM, or it's at Storytellers of STEM, and go like my page, and go tell your friends if you enjoy the podcast, um, because if I get the page, or we together actually, get the page to a 1,000 likes, I will do an AMA, and y'all can ask me anything, and that would be fun and enjoyable and entertaining. So help me out, and then we'll do an AMA, and it'll be fun. Also, follow me on Twitter at Flying Cypress so I can share all of the cool storytellers of STEM stuff with you. Thanks. Hey, y'all. It's Rachel. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Storytellers of STEM. I know I enjoyed recording it, and I love to be able to share everybody's stories with the world. So if you have a story in STEM that you would like to share please, please, please hit me up. Um, You can find me on Twitter at Flying Cypress or over on Facebook at Storytellers of STEM. And I encourage you to reach out to me if you want to tell me a story. Um, I also, even if you don't want to tell me a story, encourage you to gallop on over to Facebook and like my page and I will share tons of cool and interesting things that all the storytellers are doing or have done or things related to things that we've talked about. So there's a ton of information out there that's awesome and that I'll be sharing. So yeah, go like the Facebook page, reach out to me if you want to be on the podcast and have a brilliant day. Thank you for listening.